It is time for the lesson of the New Test of the Old Testament. This is from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In, a, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his, fa- and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It is its desires to con- contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his bro- Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, "Where is Abel your brother?" He said, "I do not know." Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work on the ground, it should no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and so whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, my vigilance shall be taken to him on a sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any man who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. We do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. In 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands let take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, three flee from idolatry. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. All right. Um, everybody here had the experience of going to a river or a lake and finding the largest rock you can possibly carry 
and throwing it as far into the river as you can. I only truly have two children here. But I assume this is a common experience, right? I've done this for, for hours. And I've, I've d- done this with my children. It's like, okay, let's go find rocks. <laughs> what happens to those little ripples? You throw it in there, it makes a cool sound, get a good splash, ripples out. But by the time it reaches the edges, it's not such a big ripple anymore, right? It dissipates. There are some things that we do that over time, they become smaller. The stupid things that you do in middle school, that you think like, I am so embarrassed, I will never live this down. Even by the end of high school, you can kind of chuckle about it. It's kind of funny again. It dissipates over time. There are, however, some things that do not dissipate over time. You ever build a fire? Yeah, throw wood on there. Starts out really small. Ends up really big, right? We, uh, we have a, a, a family cabin um, in northern New Mexico that is repeatedly threatened by these massive, you know, 100-mile forest fires. You think about the amount of fire that starts from a single match and just grows and grows and grows and consumes all of the available things that it can get its hands on, just grabbing it all. Um, another one is, is like a, if you take a snowball and you throw it down a hill and the snow is right, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? It grows the whole way down. Figuring out which category things are in, things that get smaller or things that get bigger, is something you get with time. Um, Genesis 4 is going to make the case for us that the category of sin, the depravity uh, that impacts Adam and Eve after they, they, they do the one thing, they break the one rule they had, and, and they take the fruit. Genesis 4 will show us today that it is not the category where it, it ripples and goes out, and eventually it's like, well, we've, recover, we've recovered. It was bad, but we're going to be okay. Instead, it's going to take the picture of a fire that is going to grow and consume and gather Increasing in strength. So by way of review, uh, Genesis 1 through 11. Um, we often in Old Testament world, sorry, it's finally getting warm in here. Um, we talk about, this is going to be complicated. Can I get a little hand here? It's uh, wrapped up on my sneaker, sneaker cord there. Thanks, Eve. Uh, we talk about the first 11 chapters of Genesis as the prologue. Um, that it is, in fact, setting the story for what really hits in chapter 12. In chapter 12, God comes to a fellow named Abram, um, and he makes him a promise. And the rest of Genesis follows that family and how that promise interacts. But we have to have Genesis 1 through 11 to understand what the situation is, what the background is, what the setting is for that to take place. You know, so we need to know that in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. He created everything that there is, and he made a good world. It was good. It is not a, you know, innately messed up world. It was, it was a world of goodness. And he made mankind, uh, especially within that, that, that humans are given a unique role within his creation to bear his image, and they're given special tasks. And then we see that there is uh, depravity, that the moral capacity that was given to mankind turns into uh, a sinful proclivity, that as we have as failed... Um, we have broken quite a few things. 
Um, and so we see Adam and Eve, and we're cursed, and the, this is uh, like actually this, the serpent is cursed. You know that, that there is they are removed from the garden, um, and you think like, which way is this going to go? Is this going to be the rock in the river? Or is this going to be the wildfire? It turns out Genesis four is going to answer for us. It's a wildfire. We're going to see that sin grows, um, that the fall was not constrained to Adam and Eve, that it also impacts their descendants. That's the single worst piece of data there is there. Um, and you're going to see that the sin kind of hits relationally. Like one of the primary ways you will always observe sin in the Bible is with relational metrics. That that is between man and God, relationships are severed, and between man and man, relationships are severed. Um, for what it's worth, just to look forward, uh, we will go from here, there's tiny bits of hope, but the, the next big story is actually the flood, right? And you will see that, that the depravity has consumed mankind to the point that God is going to wash it all clean with a flood, and then we are going to start over, and we're going to see from there, Abraham. But, for right now, our task is Genesis 4. Uh, we're going to start reading here in 1 and 2. This is kind of a little bit of setting, coming out of the heels. Adam and Eve have just been kicked out of the garden. They have been, you know, given these pronouncements of doom, and life goes on. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So this is, uh, this is interesting. Now, when we speak of the story of Cain and Abel, if I could give you just a little reframe from the get-go, I think it might be more correct to say this is the story of Cain and of God than it is of Cain and Abel. Abel is going to have a very quick piece to play here. Um, and then he's going to be removed from the story. We're really going to focus on how does Cain interact with God. Cain is the oldest child, um, and things, as we've already read, uh, go sideways for him. Um, but I want you to think about it less in terms of Cain and Abel and more in terms of Cain and God as we, as we go through here. And there's, there's actually a series of sins, a series of points where Cain could have made different decisions, and he's going to consistently choose things that turn out to be destructive. They're, they're sinful, they're destructive behaviors. But Many times, it, it could have gone differently. And there, we're going to look at that in, in terms of three kind of events in here. Um, interestingly, this is also not a single point of weakness. The way this story is told. Uh, you, you may think about there are some cases where, you know, you, you live your life, you do this one significant thing wrong, and then you just kind of wash yourself in regret. You know, and it's like, oh, if only I could go back and do this. When we read the story of Cain, Think about this as, as somebody who's consistently taking steps to kind of confirm their decision and walking further and further away from where they should be. All right, so start in verse 3 here. Uh, envy and anger is what you're going to see as Cain's first sins. Envy and anger. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, so Cain and Abel both bring sacrifices. Um, we already know that, that Cain is more of a, a farmer and Abel is more of a keeper of flocks. Um, and, and one of these sacrifices is accepted and the other one isn't. Please notice that the story tells you exactly nothing about why that is. 
It does not bother to tell us, this is why Cain's sacrifice was wrong. This is why Abel's was good. It, 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 those are unimportant details for what we need to know. Um, it is entirely possible to the Mosaic audience, when Moses writes this down for the children of Israel later on, that they would have immediately had categories and been like, okay, well, we know what's going on. But produce was acceptable as an offering, as was, you know, obviously sheep and, and livestock. So it seems like there's something else going on here. But the detail is that that is just not important for us to know. We don't need to know that. So don't let that, you know, grab hold of your imagination and be a red herring. You just need to know that, that if anything, when we worship God, we worship God to his preferences, not to our preferences. Right? He is God. He determines how we should worship. And so we are, like, hopefully grateful with the more details we get about how to do that. This is how you please God. You follow those things. It is not like a well, you know, this is what I wanted to give you. That, that, that is not, not the way the, the relationship works. Other little note here before we talk about Cain's sin. Um, we often think about, in our modern world, we often think about the idea of an unbeliever or somebody whose their biggest problem with God is that they don't believe that God really exists. You know, or the biggest problem is, is that they, they're struggling with doubt or they just don't have enough faith that God exists. That is quite clearly not Cain's problem. He absolutely believes in God. He absolutely seems sure that there is a God. And that does not seem to get him a whole long ways in terms of pleasing and worshiping God correctly. So when we think about what is sin, make sure you, you categorize correctly what it is. And we're going to kind of look at that a little bit as we go through here. But it's not just a matter of like, well, I'm not sure God is here or not. Okay, so his response uh, is, is the thing I want to focus on. Uh, his sacrifice is rejected. Cain is angry. Likely, Cain should have known ahead of time that his sacrifice was not the way that God wanted it to be. Again, the story doesn't tell us that. The thing it focuses on is what does he do? He becomes angry. He becomes downcast. Uh, Downcast, there, uh, Tim Keller points out, is is how ancient Hebrew would have spoken of depression. Your face has fallen or you're downcast. So he, he is gloomy and he is responding to this rejection with anger. Now, Man, if you don't understand that, you are a better person than I am. I completely understand Cain's response of anger. That is absolutely within me. I think this is maybe even within most families. If you take two children and you ask them to help with the dishes, and then one of them you say, you did a bad job, and the other one, you did a great job. Would you expect to see a child be angry and downcast? Seems like a reasonably normal human emotion. Uh, maybe not the ideal or correct human emotion, right? That is part of our depravity. We are bent towards anger. We are bent towards taking rejection and, and wanting to like lash out a little bit. Cain does this. I understand it. I'm entirely there. We have instincts after the fall that are now bent. They are now evil. They are not the way that God is. Okay, now God in response to that comes to Cain and he tells him this. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That is a dark picture. Sin is hunting Cain, like a leopard looking at a wildebeest at some watering hole on a David Attenborough film, right? We, as people, are hunted, we are prowled, we are stalked by sin, by our own sin. And that is a thing that God calls us to rule over or it will undo us. Now, can you imagine how Cain would have seen his own anger at this point? 
When you are angry and somebody says, hey, sin is crouching at the door, you know, but you must rule over it, you probably don't go like, oh yeah, great point, thanks for the advice. I'll get rid of that anger and then we'll be back on the level. Right? Cain sees his anger as justifiable. Right? Of course I'm angry. Stupid brother. Miserable little smug jerk. He's always lording it over me. And God comes and gives him a warning and that is brushed aside very, very easily. We always have valid reasons for our sins. Right? Our anger, our downcast, whatever it is that is going to be pulling us away inside, within our, our own internal frame of depravity, it is, it is right. It is right. My spouse never understands me. I labor and work. I'm taken for granted. My children are so selfish. I deserve more. Other people spend days at the spa. Other people make more money. Other people are happier, whatever it is. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Minor application point. We have to believe that little things become big things. This little bit of anger over his rejected sacrifices it becomes into murder and it ends up with his exile. Um, that is why we read uh, at the get-go here that 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let him who stands take heed, lest he fall. You know the story. Cain does not heed God's warning. He allows his sin to grow and to take root. So his first sin of envy and of anger grows and becomes his second sin, which is murder and lies. Envy and anger into murder and lies. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Um, From a literary appreciation standpoint, um, note the similarity between God and Cain's conversation here and God going and looking for Adam and Eve in the garden. When he says, where are you? Here he says to Cain, where is Abel? In both cases, they sinned and they hid. And when God came to them and and talked to them, they responded with a lie. We want to hide from the truth. Now, one of the key lessons that you should get from this story is though they are similar, that Adam and Eve in the garden, eating fruit, they ate a piece of fruit that was forbidden to them. And this is, this is a sin alike to that, but, but not in degree. We have gone from eating fruit to, to fratricide, to killing somebody within your own family. You murdered your brother. 
in like 19 verses. That is how little time has passed for us to have this kind of growth. And we read it, and as humans, we know the sin of humanity. It's not even that shocking in a way. So Cain's anger and envy grew into murder, and if there was any hope that the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin would not spread to their children, this is going to end that one. Sin has not only spread to their children, it is growing. And as Cain's first sins of envy and anger became now murder and lies, um, I can't help but think of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. When Jesus is talking about how sins you know, are, are alike but different in degree, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go and reconcile with him. The idea that, that these are the same sins, just a different degree. God's response to this, to Cain's murder, is a curse from the ground. Um, recall that Cain was a farmer. He will no longer have any success in farming. He is to become a fugitive and an exile. So we see envy and anger. We see murder and lies. And now Cain has another chance to respond. He is given his judgment. And what should he do? What he responds with is dissatisfaction. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, this is a little bit of inference on my part. But the thing that I don't see here from Cain, I do not see any sorrow for his sin. You do not see him respond to this judgment from God and say, woe is me. Instead, he kills his brother, and when he's given a curse from the ground, his comment is about how rough it is for him. That is very much like a human. We, we can see our own pain with great ease. <sighs> In the course of studying this passage, I laid out the sermon as two halves. And by the time I got to this point, half one, I confess to you I was very discouraged. Um, all this talk about the overwhelming depravity of mankind and all of Cain's failures. And like, the more you think about Cain, the more I'm like, man, I, I, I really, I can see that in me. Yeah. You want to watch me pout about something that's gracious to me? Yeah. You want to see me get anger or envy or like hide from truth like I mean, you just like man this is this is awful very very discouraging we're gonna turn the page the sun's gonna come out somebody phone Pollyanna and we're doing this 
Okay, the second half of this story that is equally important, I said there are two characters in this story, right? It's Cain and it's God. The God part is not discouraging. Those of you guys might be surprised. Okay, so we're going to see God's mercy just pouring through this whole stupid story. It's fantastic. Starting in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Okay, you got all that. What does God do? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, maybe vague context, just say this in the side. God, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things, who is worthy of the worship of everything that he has made, is playing into this story with Cain and Abel. So this, this is like already maybe a little bit unexpected. The more you understand about who God is, the more you understand about who we are, this is, this is already strange. Now, God comes to Cain, who's already done something with his sacrifice that means it's not, it's not acceptable. And that was like turning out that, he's like blaming his brother like with some kind of envy and anger. And God comes to him and, and talks to him like a father would. You know, like, like, like a dad. To say like, hey, you seem angry. You got this. It's going to eat your lunch. Don't do it. We can do this. Let's go clean up these toys together. It's going to be fine. Then we'll go eat some dinner. Right? He's like, hey, Cain, me, infinite creator of the universe, worthy of all kinds of your worship. I'm here because I'm concerned about you and the decisions you are about to make. How, How is that a thing that God does? Now, flip that around. Go ahead, in your mind, not out loud, nobody out loud. Pick a sin that you have recently committed. Pick one. Hopefully, you know, not when you were 12. Let's be more honest with yourself. Give it more recent. Now, before that really went down fully, imagine if God himself came to you and said, Hey, buddy, you can see where this is headed. Don't do it. Would you still? I don't know. I like to think that maybe I'd listen to God if he came and told me, like, hey, Taylor, don't, don't do it. Like, You're right. Good, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. The thing that is striking to me is how much moral concern an infinite being, God, transcendent creator of heaven and earth, has for the individual human. That God is morally concerned for, for us as individuals. God wants his people to be like he is. He wants his people to bear his image. He wants his people to succeed. He loves his creation, even though they are sinful. And you see this with affection, with concern for well-being, with this like, like advice and encouragement to make the right choice. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, now, keep going on the goodness of God here. Okay. The next thing that happens, Cain ignores the advice... Already we're in like, well, I mean, God came, God came to you and said like, hey man, don't do it. And you did it anyways. Right? That, that should unlock this major multiplier on the guilt factor, right? You're like, you're really, really going to get the judgment hammer now. Um, in this case, what happens? Cain spoke to Abel, he kills him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Okay, just expectation-wise. In Genesis, right after the flood, God says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Right? Special shout out for how seriously we are to take the judgment for murder. That's in Genesis 9. I think most people are somewhat familiar that murder is one of the more serious crimes available to humans and that God considers it quite serious as well. Right? And this is what Cain has now done. So it wasn't like he got angry, he looked at Abel and said, stupid head, and then God's going to come talk to him about his, you know, his, his potty mouth or something. No, like he, he killed his brother. So what are you expecting his judgment to be? What is, what is it that would make sense, even? God's response to Cain is that he will be cursed from the ground. The ground received Abel's blood, and it will no longer give Cain produce. As a result, that means he's not going to be a farmer anymore. He's going to have to wander around looking for food, hunting, presumably. That's it. Now, I will confess that I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a rule follower when I'm talking about other people. Um, I, like, I like rules to apply to other people very stringently and not so much to myself. But, you know, there are some personalities that, that are naturally more gracious than others, and I'm not, I'm not strong in that way. Um, so when I read this, my first inclination here is I, I see this about Cain, and I think, like, what? My dude killed his brother, and that's... You, you're letting him off too easy! You know, like, he's got to have some... something. There's a bad instinct on my part. I'm just don't... Don't do that internally. You want to root for Cain here. Okay? Each and every one of us, we want to root for Cain. He just killed his brother after a direct encouragement from God not to sin in such a way. And God is just. You'll notice here, like just little inklings of the justice bit that coming out. Like your brother's blood is crying out to me. You know, like this idea like, that, that all of the injustices that happen cry out to God to, to fix them. And he says, I will fix them. But that he is this merciful here means that we got a shot. It means that we have a chance. God is, God is overwhelmingly merciful. And that is good news for all of us. Okay. So God shows up, offers the advice, you know, that fatherly affection and love, um, and the warning. Now he comes and he gives a lenient judgment and then finally, we're going to see that God is even going to protect Cain. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. 
Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right. So the final thing to show the overwhelming mercy of God, if it wasn't enough, God puts a mark of protection on Cain. After hearing of this judgment, Cain complains, it's way too much. And God's like, no, 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 I got you. You'll be protected. Everybody will know not to, not to kill you. You're going to be protected. And this gives Cain a continued opportunity for repentance, a continued opportunity to fix, a continued opportunity to return. This is, this is some of the earliest pieces we see of God, right? And we could have started with the God of Sinai, who thunders, and, and, you know, if an animal even touches the mountain, it is destroyed, it is consumed, right? We could have talked about the overwhelming holiness of God. But God chooses to show himself as creator and then as lover of his creation and as one who is willing to be merciful and kind to sinners like us. All right, if you're going to take anything away from this sermon, here are my two things. One, I guess maybe literarily, hopefully you understand a little bit about how Genesis is rolling here, that we're seeing sin multiply. And you should begin to get a little doom and a gloom picture for humanity. We are are kind of a hot mess. And the thing there is that we need to associate with Cain at least a little bit. Because we have the same stain, the, the same human stain, We're hopefully preserved from the magnitude of Cain's sin, but we have the same root. We have the same type of sin within us. We can easily walk the same path, one step after the other, moving away from God. And without truly believing that about ourselves, then we will run afoul of that Corinthians warning, let he who stands take heed lest he fall. On the other half, the overwhelming mercy of God is our hope. If Cain reveals to us the nature of our fall, God's actions show his patience with failure. God's mercy will be shown most clearly at the cross, ultimately. Right? We will see and, and get an understanding for how is it that God is able to overlook Cain's sin. How is it that God is able to overlook all of these sins across all of time? It's because the justice will be fulfilled. Right? We, we won't get that yet. But even here in the first chapters of Genesis, we see him giving chances to those who desperately need them showing his mercy towards the guilty even when they are rejecting his goodness. Those are our two threads, our sin and God's mercy. Pray with me if you will. God, your goodness to your creation has been clearly manifest since the beginning. Bear with the guilt of our race. Forgive our failures that we do not master our sin, but instead nourish it, choosing lies to truth, falling victim to the failures which crouch in wait. Hear our gratitude that you chase us, that we hide ourselves from you in shame. You loved us while we were yet sinners and while we yet sin. Hear our repentance and cause us to repent more fully. God, give us the ability to turn from sin and to not be ruled by it. Free us to offer you acceptable worship and help us to bear your name and image faithfully. Be merciful to our fallen race and save many. Amen.